appreciate that song. I love that song. <clears throat> I listen to it often. This past week I listened to it. It was written by one of my favorite songwriters, Rodney Griffith. I believe that uh, Rodney is one of the finest songwriters, not just in our generation, but ever. He's written some of the best songs. Rodney has a close walk with the Lord. I hope you can uh, hear me out there. My voice is a little bit scratchy. I'm trying to get it fixed. But if you would turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, and that's toward the back of the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 12, and then locate that, and then find Ephesians chapter 4, those two places. We'll start in Hebrews 12, and then Ephesians 4. I'll cover some other verses and put those on the screen, but I want you to look in this passage and Could I encourage you to write some things down? I think this will help you. Also, if you would uh, maybe take a verse that maybe God gives you as He speaks to you, and just memorize that verse and then meditate upon it. And that's the way that God changes your life. And He'll teach you His Word also by that way. I love to read, and uh, I, I don't just read one book. Paula reads one book at a time. I like to read a lot of books. I'm an ADD reader. And so uh, I I read broadly and deeply. This past year, maybe a little longer, uh, I began to read about the topic of suffering. And I still have several books in that genre lined up to read. They've been a great blessing and help to me. One of the best books that I read on that topic was written by a pastor a uh, wonderful, helpful book, a biblical book with great instruction, and uh, just really, really good. And he wrote in that book, some of it was biographical of his own journey, and then how that God helped him with that. He said that as a pastor, <clears throat> that he was very compassionate towards people that had been sick. And when you're a pastor, you spend... Uh, time in hospitals, you spend time in funeral homes, and so you spend time with people that are hurting and broken. And if you don't have a shepherd's heart, you better not get in the ministry um, because that's what the ministry is about. It's about uh, part of it, it's not all of it, but part of it is about loving people and helping people. And he said, I had always cared about people. And he said, I felt like I knew what that was about and compassion and caring. And he said, then I was struck with this this illness. And he said it was very painful, and he describes it in great detail. And just overnight, it landed him in the hospital. And he made a contrast, kind of before and after. And he said, I had no idea of what it was like to hurt. And he said, before I I landed there, he said, "I, I had compassion. But he said, after I landed there, he said, uh, it just it changed my world. He said, while I was in the hospital, he was in there for a long time, and he still has trouble. He'll have a lifelong problem with this. He said, the pain became so severe, uh, he prayed to die. He told his wife, he said, I, I want to go to heaven. I want God just to come and take me. I can't, I can't live like this. 
And this morning, I want to speak on one of the most painful areas of life that people battle with. I know this because I've talked to them and helped people. And they desperately want relief from this pain. But they live needlessly in this pain because they refuse the cure. And uh, as I've said, as I've gone through this series of messages in recent weeks... That life is very difficult, it's very hard, and inevitably just the human condition because of our sin invites pain and suffering. And only God can, can heal that. We're invited to come to the Lord and not only bring our sins, but that's why Jesus came to be our Savior. And He suffered and bled on the cross and was buried in the tomb. We sang this morning that He lives to forgive us so that we could go to heaven. But he also, according to Isaiah chapter 53, he died for our sorrows. And uh, it talks about that in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible calls him a, a man of sorrows. And he invites us to, to bring him uh, those pains. And only he can, can deal with those sorrows and those pains. And yet we refuse to, to give those to him. Some of you have given your sins to Jesus, but you've never given your sorrow to Jesus. You won't give Him your pain. And uh, I began this series of messages on, on Jesus, the healer. We talked about how Jesus can heal your body, how that Jesus can heal your mind. And I want to transition this morning to a very important topic on how that Jesus can heal a part of your mind, healing from a resentful mind. A resentful mind. Resentment is a very difficult feeling to overcome. Uh, The dictionary defines resentment as indignation at having been treated unfairly. Resentment is a feeling of, of past and current hurt, disappointment, unfulfilled expectations. Listen carefully. That you keep rehearsing in your mind, and in your heart. Now, resentment is an emotion, but before it's an emotion, it's a matter of your mind. It's something that you think about. Say, what do you mean by that, Rick? You would never be resentful if you didn't think about it. Now, I'm not saying that you just have this mental switch, and you know, because you wouldn't be human. Because we are emotional creatures. The Bible says we're made in the image of God. That's not a physical likeness, that's an intellectual likeness, it's an emotional likeness. And God is joyful, God weeps, God has an emotional side, God gets angry. It's righteous anger, we may talk about that in a little bit. But you 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 have control to the degree of that emotion by your thoughts. And some of you are, are... resentful, and you need not be. You see, you light the match, then you light the fuse, and then the explosion happens when you could have caught it way far up current. And it starts with, it starts with, with thinking like this. Something happens to you out of your control, and that's what happens when I talk, well, well I couldn't control that. No, you couldn't control that, but you can control you're thinking about what happened. 
And here's what happens. You begin to think, I deserve better than that. You can't treat me like that. And sometimes it's not about work, it's about the home. You can't treat me like that. You broke your promise. That's not what I expected. This isn't fair. And on it goes. And so you begin to wallow in that, and then other thoughts come to you, and Satan provides some of them, the flesh provides some of them, and then your resentment begins to grow, and then you're just full-blown angry. But it's not your fault. It's the person that hurt you. It's their fault. No, no, it's your fault. I'm speaking to myself this morning. It's our fault. Because we just facilitate it. We just allow that, that thought to build a rut in our mind and in our heart. And we just nurse it and we rehearse it over and over and over again. I've been uh, for several years studying about the topic of anger and bitterness. And uh, I'm writing some about it and I'm not ready to do it, I suppose, one man defined anger as this, and I believe he's, he's onto something here. He says that people, get, forgive me, people get angry as a result of a personal value or right being violated. And that's not the only reason. But I thought, you know, that, that's really true. Most of the time when you get angry, it's because you feel like your values have been taken advantage of. Well, that's not right. I came to the restaurant. My food ought to be warm. That's a value. That's a right. I'm paying for this. It ought to be warm. So you take it out on the waiter or the waitress. It's not their fault. And you just rip them. They didn't have anything to do with it. And then you get all upset. You take it out on your wife or your husband or your kids they didn't have anything to do. And you, you let this resentment in, in, the, in the immediacy of the moment just bleed over. Or they bring you the wrong thing. I, and I'm not a saint, but I don't know how many times I've just eaten the wrong stuff. Just because I'd rather just eat it than to cause a problem with the people that I'm with. I, I was with a group of my friends and one of my good friends knew I didn't particularly care for the food. I started eating it. He said, you didn't order that. I heard what you ordered. I said, I know. Why are you eating it? I said, it's fine. And he didn't say anything. Well, I'm with my friends, and, and I'm not saying it's wrong to ask, and I suppose there's a certain place I, I would ask. But, you know, I, I can eat that. You're in control of your response. And some of us, we, we live so much in, in what we deserve and what, what our rights are that we're, I call them porcupine Christians. We can never be satisfied and everywhere, everywhere we go, we, we just, we're prickly. We, we just, we hurt people. But we have our rights. And uh, someone said that people that always claim their rights they basically create rebellion. But people that focus on their, their responsibilities, they bring revival. I think that's true. Now, 
anger is a result of a personal value being violated, I think that's true. But most of, most of us, that's, that's not righteous anger. There is a righteous anger. God gets angry. But his is righteous anger. Because most of us has to do with our, our personal rights. It's not righteous anger. We're not getting indignant over something that God is angry about. In fact, we get angry at other people's sin, not at our sin. I preach to you about that so much. It's just so easy to get angry at the other guy. And think about the seeds of the sin. Are those seeds in me? Matthew chapter 7, look at my life first. Is that in me? Before I start barking at my kids, before I start barking at you, is that in me? Is it in me? You know, if Jesus, listen, if Jesus would have claimed his rights, every one of us would be in hell. Every one of us. Jesus yielded his rights. He didn't have to go to the cross. He didn't even have to come to the earth. He didn't have to take on a body. You read Philippians chapter 2. He he took on a human body and he humbled himself. And he gave up his rights so that he could be the sacrifice for your sins and for my sins. So much of what we call is righteous indignation and righteous anger and resentment is sinfulness. Let me show you two passages here on the screen before you look in the Bible about this, this matter of, of, of wrong anger. And com- contrast it with Jesus and the way he lived. First Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 23 for even here and two were you called because Christ also suffered for us. Now, the theme of Peter, First Peter's suffering. If you're hurting, read First Peter. Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example. Now, what is the example about? It's about suffering. Now, sometimes we lift that out of the context and say, "Well, Jesus is our example." Yes, He is. But he's our example in suffering. And the, the example here has to do with yielding rights. And when you yield your rights, you, you, you won't be resentful. Leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Here's how you behave. And this speaks about the cross the day, the day before. Who did no sin. He was perfect. Neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, to revile means to abuse verbally, to insult, to criticize. This is what they were doing to Jesus. They were criticizing, insulting, abusing him verbally. When he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. What did he do? He committed himself to him. This is his heavenly father. Jesus committed himself to God the Father that judgeth righteously. Now, you won't find anger anywhere in there. Now, God gets angry sometimes, but you know what you find here? You find submission to God. That's why Romans chapter 12 says, Avenge not yourselves, but you give that up to God. And so many times we're so resentful because we're angry. And we're angry because our 
our ideals have been violated. I'm not saying you shouldn't have them. But I'm going to tell you something they're going to get bumped up against. The first quality of love and what we call the love chapter. Do you know what it is? You know what it is? 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4. Charity suffereth long. That's the first, first description. The first quality of love in the love chapter. It suffereth long. Doesn't focus on itself. It's not only patient, but it's long-suffering. It suffers for a long time. Well, you're not going to treat me that way. Well, when you love them, you'll kind of let them take advantage of you sometimes. Well, you no, I, I deserve better than this. Well, you, you may, but if it's somebody you love, you... you uh, you tolerate some things. The opposite of, of love is anger. You can't love people when you're angry. Angry person is not a loving person. And anger is manifested by impatience. An impatient man is an angry man. An impatient man, impatient woman is an angry woman. That's not a virtue. I remember... A pastor that he would almost half apologize and half make a joke about it. Say, well, yes, sometimes I get angry. I've heard him say that in two or three settings. He's a well-known preacher. I would sit there and I'd say, well, you don't need to be in the ministry. Titus 1 says a bishop doesn't need to be soon angry. You're going to destroy people. There's, There's certain character qualities that people personality things and it's not in the Bible it's kind of a study people have done with personalities and clerics you know they get things done but they leave a trail of bodies behind them if you want to, if you want a project done give it to a cleric and they'll, they'll buddy they'll they'll trailblaze but the people that work with them will never work with them again because people are projects to them they're just a means to an end. They don't care about them. What kind of person are you in traffic when the traffic is slow? You tailgating? And stop, and stop, preacher. That's none of your business. Well, chair, I'll just read the Bible then. Charity suffered long. Are you a loving person when you drive? Well, that's different. It is? Are you impatient with your spouse? Are you impatient with your kids? This is, this is in the home. Are you a leader? Are you impatient with, the, with your employees when they mess up? Sometimes I watch coaches on the sidelines as they rip into the players when they make mistakes. And the first thing that comes to my mind is, now who rips into you when you make a mistake, when you make a bad call? Because I know you make them. I know you do. Who, who comes to you and gets in your face and cusses at you? Yeah. Now, I, I know that there's some variation in it probably, but look. Charity suffers long. Resentment begins in your mind. It starts in your mind. 
And you'll never get over it until you, until you catch it there. Now, that's kind of preventive. What about the corrective part? Because some of you have just, you've dug a rut in your mind. You've got a, a green canyon in your mind. And it's just filled with resentment. Now, another word for resentment in the Bible is bitterness. You know, one of the places it's used the most, the word, is in the book of Job. Did you know that? Job, Job struggled with bitterness. He lost his kids, he lost his wealth, and he lost his health. Now, hold on for a minute. You say, well, he shouldn't have done that. Okay. Let me ask you a question. In Job chapter 1, what did God say about Job? He said he was the best man in the world. He was the best man in the world. He was a godly man. And he struggled with bitterness. Let me read a couple of portions to you. Job chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. Look at this. Job is talking. Remember, he's hurting physically, emotionally. He's in pain. He said, Oh, remember that my life is wind. Mine eyes shall see no more. Mine eyes shall no more see good. Now, remember I talked to you a few weeks ago about cynicism, how that's a mental thing. He's become a cynic about life. There, there's nothing good. The rest of my days, I mean, it, the good is over. He, he has no hope now. The eye of him that hath seen me shall see me no more. Thine eyes are upon me, and I am not. It's as if I, I don't even count. Nobody is even watching me. God doesn't care. I'm just not a being anymore. As a cloud is consumed and vanisheth away, so he that goeth down to the grave shall come up no more. It's over. May as well be dead. He shall return no more to his house. Neither shall his place know him any more. Therefore, because of the dismal outlook, I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak. Now watch this. In the anguish of my spirit. He's in anguish. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. He's cynical. Remember, I talked to you about discouragement. His mental, he's discouraged. And now he's bitter. And I'll talk to you about that in a minute. He's bitter. A few chapters later, Job chapter 10, verse 1. My soul, this, this is the inner part of man. My soul is weary of my life. Now, this is the best man in the world. This is a godly man. He's hurting physically. He's hurting emotionally. My soul is weary of my life. I will leave my complaint upon myself. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say unto God, do not condemn me. Watch this. Show me wherefore thou contendest with me. God, what, what is your issue with me? Why are you punishing me? Did you know that Job felt that way? Job was a godly man. Is it good unto thee, he's speaking to God, that thou shouldest oppress, that thou shouldest despise the work of thine hands? You created me. And shine upon the counsel of the wicked. 
Here's a good man, a godly man, a great man, the best of the best. And he's struggling because of his pain physically, emotionally, and because of loss. With bitterness, and that bitterness is going to turn into resentment if it's not caught. And this morning I want to make some comments about resentment and bitterness. Number one, most people that are bitter don't know it. Most people that are bitter don't know it. If I got up this morning, I said, I want to talk to you about bitterness. Some of you would have, that's why I laid the foundation for even talk. I want to talk to you about bitterness. The larger part of you just turned me off. Well, that's not me. I'll just think about lunch because that's not me. It's somebody else. Most people that are bitter don't know. Here's why. How would you define bitterness? Bitterness is harbored hurt. It's simmering disappointment. It's unfulfilled expectations that you cannot forget. It's in the mind. It simmers there. It won't leave. There are unfulfilled expectations, disappointments that you cannot forget. So, so here, here's our words for bitterness. Th- this is why bitter people don't know it. This is what we call it. Well, I'm just disappointed. I'm just really disappointed in him. I'm just disappointed in the church. I'm just hurt. I'm just trying to get over it. Well, you're bitter. You say, well, that's not bitterness. Well, yes, it is. Biblically, it is. I'll, I'll show you that if you'll stay with me. Yes, it is. And it, start, it starts there, but it gets worse. This morning, some of you are resentful over things that happened a long time ago. And it's just dug into your life and into your heart and into your mind. And you keep rehearsing it over and over and over again. Now, the Bible gives us a picture of what bitterness is. Your Bible's open there to Hebrews 12. Look at it with me. It pictures bitterness as a tree or a plant. Notice in Hebrews twelve fifteen, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up. Notice that expression. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. I want to focus on that. Any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. The word bitterness there, the root of the word, it means to pierce. It means to pierce. As if you were to go out and, and take a, a nail outside into a plank of wood and take a hammer and put it into the wood and then pull the nail out, there would be a piercing there. There would be a small hole. Or you were going to put your tent up somewhere and you would take the peg. I don't even know if they do it this way anymore. But you would drive that peg down, then later when you let pull it up, there would be a, a place of insertion. There would be a hole there where the ground was pierced. That, that's what bitterness is. It's where you've been pierced. My heart was pierced. My, my child hurt me. My husband left me. I got fired from that company. I gave them 30 years and they let me go. They didn't treat me right. I'm not saying 
you don't get hurt. It, that's where it starts. It starts with a piercing. So here's the process. Number one, your heart is pierced. Number two, the seed of discontentment is planted. The piercing is there. And then the seed is planted and cultivated. And then the root is established. It's called a root of bitterness. Now up to this point, nobody knows these things are going on. There's, there's some evidence of it. But it, it, it's hidden. You've got a piercing, which nobody knows about but you. The seed of discontentment, except for the people closest to you. Most people don't know about it. They don't see the root. It's all underground. But then the fourth stage, the Bible says, the root of bitterness begins to spring up. That means it begins to surface and blossom. And that's the stages, those, those four stages of the development of bitterness. The piercing, the sowing of the seed of discontentment, and then the root develops. And roots are hard to get up. If you've ever, The longer they're there, the harder you've ever tried to pull one up. We pulled a bumper off a truck one time. They're hard to get up. You need the grace of God to help you with that. And then, and then it begins to blossom. God help us when it blossoms. I'm not going to go into much this morning, maybe next week. But here's the thing, it all starts, listen carefully, it all starts with the piercing. Now I ask you a question. What are you going to do when you get pierced? Because you're going to get pierced. Because that's, that's where your mind comes in, where the Spirit of God begins to speak to you and say, you need to forgive them. You need to deal with this right now. Because if you don't, you're, you're going to kind of percolate on it. And, and underneath, get angry and discontent, and that's just going to simmer. And then that root's going to get established, and roots begin to grow upward. And the ugly blossom and fruit is going to eventually find its way up. Bitterness springing up. You know, one way it blossoms, not the only way, I just want to show you a sample is in the way we talk. It changes our speech because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. When you have a bitter heart, you have a bitter tongue. Romans chapter 3 talks about the character of the fallen man, of the corrupt man. And even though you're saved, you still have a corrupt nature. Romans chapter 3 and verse 14 says, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. And the word cursing there doesn't mean profanity. It means saying negative things. It's the opposite of blessing. Rather than blessing people, you're cursing people. You're being negative. But your mouth is full of bitterness. And it's the same word as Hebrews 12, 15. It means you're just, you're, you're just so seething with bitterness. So you talk to people about your piercing. And you speak against that person. Again, here's, it's used this way, when enemies who, who are angry with you, or if you're, you're, you, someone else is your enemy, this is how you deal with them. Psalm 64, verse 3, who wet, W-H-E-T, like a, like a knife, a wetting stone, who wet their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows. 
even bitter words. Now, swords and arrows hurt. That's what you do when someone is your enemy. You're going to make them pay. In the Christian world, sometimes we just use periodicals or Facebook. That they may shoot in secret. This is interesting. At the perfect. That means this person is, is innocent. Suddenly do they shoot at him and fear not. Bitter people. One other reference here. James chapter 3 verses 10 and 11. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. Again. Here's one person, sometimes they bless and sometimes curse, not profanity, but rather than saying good things about people, they're saying negative things. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain, here's an analogy, sent forth at the same place, sweet water and bitter water. Here's what he's saying, something's wrong with the source that doesn't send forth consistently the same water. So here's why I give you this. The first step to conquering your problem is to define it. And some of you need, need to come to the place this morning and say, you know what? Maybe I am better. I've been calling it something else. But I am upset with my kids. They did hurt me. I did get upset with that institution. And it started in your heart and in your mind. And you have just rehearsed it and nursed it and carried it with you. Now, you, you can't get through life without getting your feelings hurt. You can't join a church without getting your feelings hurt. You cannot be involved in a relationship without the other person hurting your feelings. Kids, your parents are going to hurt your feelings. Parents, your kids are going to hurt your feelings. Your brothers and sisters are going to hurt your feelings. Your pastor's going to hurt your feelings. You're going to hurt your pastor's feelings. It goes two ways. It, it, it's, it's a part of life. So, so what are you going to do? Are you going to run from it? Or are you going to forgive? Are you going to be petty and just keep a little diary? And, and I'll talk about this maybe in a little bit. Are you going to give people margin and mercy? Jesus said this in Luke chapter 17 and verse 1. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. He said, It's impossible. You're going to be offended. And it's funny because after he told them this, Peter spoke up and he said, Lord, increase our faith. In Luke 17, 5, Lord, we're going to need some help with this. But Jesus said, Look, you're going to get hurt. But notice what he said in the last part of verse, Woe unto him through whom they come. It's not like he brushes this off. He's now, I'm, I, these people that hurt you are accountable to me. And by the way, you're accountable to me when you hurt people. It goes two ways. It's amazing sometimes. We get wounded and we go off and go, Well, they, they hurt me. I'm, I'm never going back. I hate that restaurant. I hate that school. I hate that church. I hate that person. Like you never hurt anybody. Really? Really? Wow. Jesus said, woe unto him through whom they come. We have such unrealistic expectations. And we really become expert Pharisees on this issue of bitterness. 
Bitter people usually don't think they're bitter. But they are because they just call it by a different name. And then they deal with it with other ways. Now look, you've got to learn to to extend mercy rather than, than be all about justice. I demand justice. As I said, really? Now remember that that thing swings both ways. You want it for you? Now, if you saw yourself correctly, you wouldn't say that. If you saw yourself with the eyes of God, you wouldn't be all about justice, I'll tell you for sure. Some people are easily offended and they carry resentments because of their immaturity. You're wounded and you're resentful because you don't see yourself correctly. Because you're immature if you're a Christian. Psalm 119 and 165 says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Nothing shall offend them. Well, that's, that'd be a good place to be, wouldn't it? You see, listen, the more mature you get spiritually, the more you grow spiritually, the more you realize that some things are going on in that person's life that maybe I, I, I don't know about. And I better give them some margin. You know, there's been some times in my life where I wish I could tell people, but I don't. And if they knew, they'd say, oh, oh I didn't know that. That changes things. Yes, it does. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. But if, if you do not do that, here, here's the way your mind thinks. Because you want vengeance. And, and you want to exact a pound of flesh. You become resentful. And it, here's the way you think. It becomes all about your perception of the offense. Well, here's how they hurt me. And it was on this day, it was at this time, and he was wearing that shirt, and this is what he said. I've actually been in meetings to try to, you know, be the mediator. When one person, well, here's what I said. No, you didn't. You said this. And I, I remember saying, but there's just no help here. They're, they're keeping score. Did you know you can't win when somebody keeps score? What are you doing keeping score? You're not happy. God's keeping score on you. It's how you perceive the offense. You're writing all that down. Then you're, you're thinking about this, how you're going to treat the offender. Not just the offense, but the offender. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I wish for them. Here's what I want to happen. You read in Matthew 5 and other places, God said, bless them, pray for them, do good for them. The Bible turns it inside out. Don't do those things. I I know why that happened. God is punishing them. Do do you want the boomerang to come around and hit you like that? Really? You You want this? And then you not only think about the offense, how you've been hurt, and the offender and how you want them to get the same thing. You begin to think about your response to the offense. Now, what is my plan? 
But my plan is not on how to help and how to serve. My plan is how I'm going to destroy the person. And it's all a matter of the mind. And some of you are so deeply wounded that it's not a scar, it's a raw wound. And I, I, I have mercy for you. And I'm sorry, I've been there. I've been the one that caused it, and I've been the recipient of it. And both of them are bad. But here's what I want you to do this morning. I'm going to stop here because I don't want to go give you any more. I'll finish this later. I want you to change. Number one, I want you to come to the place where you say, I am bitter. And if I don't grab a hold of this, this is going to grab a hold of me to where I'm resentful. And then maybe some of you have have gone full-blown where the bitterness has surfaced and blossomed. And there are resentful words. And there is a resentful heart. And you're keeping score of negative things and not, how can I bless them? How can I help them? Even where they don't even know I'm doing this. I'll do good things for them. And then you begin to ask God to speak to my heart. Help me change. Lord, what's in this for me? And that, I'm going to tell you, that's hard. When you've been hurt, to say, God, how can I change? I have a dear friend, and uh, he'd been greatly wounded. And I was just trying to lift him up, really just listen. Just, just listen and kind of give him a shoulder and catch some tears. I couldn't fix it. And he said something I will never forget. He told me how that his wife had left and he was desperately trying to to win her back and she wouldn't come back. And he was doing these things, trying to get his wife back. And in a matter of, of, of insight... After prayer, God gave him this thought and said, you know, you haven't been, you haven't shown empathy to your wife. Now, you you folks that are married, listen to me. This will help you. Because women can do this too. You haven't shown empathy to your husband. I remember when I was sitting listening, I thought, man, this, this is a giant I'm listening to. This is somebody that is walking close to Christ. Because they're not pointing the finger. Had a lot of hurt. But they're saying, okay, what, what can I do out of this? Sit about your heads with me, would you?